Hello and welcome to another episode of Book Faces Live, the show where we talk to the faces behind your books. I'm Nathan Van Coops. I'm your host, and today I'm excited to bring you an interview with Elizabeth Ann West. Welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, this was a lot of fun to getting to, to chat again. We, of course, we were able to hang out very recently at the Novelist Inc. conference, which was, you know, it's always a lot of fun. But um, I enjoy these chats too, and just being able to catch up a little bit more about what you're doing on your own, and you've got a lot going on. So. <laughs> I'm excited for this interview and uh, this episode. For people who aren't familiar with you, um, could, could we start out by talking just a little bit about what you write and uh, your novels? Um, sure. I'm that girl that writes Jane Austen fan fiction because it was my guilty pleasure reading for like a decade since mm-hmm. the 2005 Pride and Prejudice movie. And um, I began writing in that genre in 2014. My first book came out in 2011. And before that, I was selling articles online in, since 2007. So you were right in the, the early stages of the the publish the self publishing game, and you know the, when the Kindle came out, like you were already in the trenches. So um, how did you find that transition of you know converting into this new landscape? So it was actually a conversation between Joe Conrath and um, I think Barty Crouch. No, Barty Crouch is Harry Potter, but the <laughs> other guy, Barry Eisler, that's what it is. Um, the, the Be the Monkey, Not the Frog, and please don't look at the YouTube video for that. But um, I was already selling my articles online for about three years when they had that conversation in 2010. So I did look at like traditional publishing or New York publishing, and when I found out the percentages were like 25% or 15%, I was like, mm-hmm. oh, no, 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 no. Yeah. I was already making 70% on my articles. So okay. when they kind of outlined what's ne- what skills are necessary for this new digital publishing, I was thankful that I was like checking the box of I already have these skills of websites and SEO and selling my writing digitally mm-hmm. and everything like that. So um, yeah, I was able to kind of jump right in um, towards the end of 2011. What types of articles were you writing? They were SEO articles for websites. So they were mm-hmm. nonfiction articles that were geared towards you know driving traffic to a website because it's all about content is king and content is still king i would say now experience is probably king but we'll get to that later but um the the articles were designed like one of the funniest ones i ever wrote was uh what happens if you have a spending addiction like how to have like online games and virtual yeah. currency and things and i sold that article for 150 dollars. yes i did <laughs> good on job spec. So, that's awesome um yeah it was it was it was good. Uh, that market did start to dry up a little bit when I jumped into fiction, and yeah. it's harder now than it was back then. Like we always say, it's harder later on. So yeah, um, yeah in the heyday, people were paying you know between five and ten cents a word. Right. Yeah. And then um, when you jumped, it did make the leap into fiction, and you said, "Okay, I'm going to write this Jane Austen inspired novels." How did you uh, start to make that successful? Um, you know, just getting going. Well, that was in 2014, so there, if anyone's doing the math, there's a three-year gap in there where I was a book marketer, mm. um, and I ran The Cheap with April Floyd, who's also an author. Hmm. Um, and I actually tried working outside of the home for the first time in seven years, and that was a complete disaster. I don't recommend that if you haven't mm. done that. Uh, and I was really, really just sad. And my go-to thing when I was sad was to always go get a new Darcy book. And there okay. was not one. There was not a new one. So then yeah. I tried to reread the stuff that I already read, but I had already just reread all of that. So yeah. um, I threw my caution to the wind and my fear that I couldn't do this because yeah. I didn't have a history degree. And I just wrote a story for me. And I literally published it at midnight on the 4th of July in 2014. I was so freaked out. 
I realized that there was like a small typo in chapter one. And so I was trying to upload a new file. And when I went into the KDP dashboard to do that, I had already sold 12 copies and I hadn't given anybody the link yet. Wow. And that was a novella at $3 and 25 cents. So when I saw that, I was like, Oh, we can do this. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And uh, how many novels do you have in this? Uh, is it one series or multiple series that you're writing? Oh, I have two series, a number of standalones. I am working on story number 15, but it's title number 19 in my catalog mm-hmm. because of box sets and um, different things like that. So, mm-hmm. um, But, yeah, I, I have quite a few. I The most I've ever done in a year is eight titles in a year, and that was my first year. Like, I was per- petrified that I was not going to write again. Mm-hmm. Um, and then personal life kind of went haywire the last couple of years. So I've routinely taken off about six to seven months between releases, which I don't recommend. Um, but I think, I'm, thankfully, my prices are such a way and everything that my catalog still kind of just sells and the things that I've set up system-wise, they, mm-hmm. it's really mm-hmm. a passive income for me that's four figures a month, whether I publish a book or have advertising running. That's fantastic. Yeah, and it a is. lot of it is having a multiple titles. And like you said, you have, um, maybe we can talk about this, you have a little bit of a different pricing strategy than most indies do. Can you talk a little bit about that? So my pricing was based on the fact that I was a voracious reader in this genre when I started. So I mm-hmm. knew that, um, you know, there was just a shortage of titles coming out, and there still is. We still only get about between 20 and 60 total titles in the genre a month. Mm-hmm. And of those, you know, you have 20 or 60 titles, they're going to all appeal to different tastes in the book, in the in the genre. So really, an individual reader might only have a handful of titles that fit their particular needs, whether they want a variation or a sequel or what, whatever their cho- whatever their tastes are. Mm-hmm. So I priced for myself. I was reader zero, basically. Yeah. Um, and I decided, you know, I just want to sell 500 copies, whether that takes me a year or six months or whatever. That's what I want to sell, and that's what I based my revenue pricing and everything off of. So novellas were $3.25, which is my birthday. Um, my novels came out at $8.24, which is my ex-husband's birthday. He's a recent ex-husband. Now, after about a year of that, though, the writing was on the wall that I should just change my prices to $0.99 at the end. Mm-hmm. So now my novels are between $9.99 and $14.99, believe it or not, and they sell. Um, yeah. They're $14.99 on, on, on Google, and they sell. Um, and then my novellas are between uh, $2.99 and $4.99, depending on um, how long it is and what, whether it's a lost leader or whatever. I do have a novel at $6.99. The book one in my series is at $6.99. And do you um, price at $9.99 on Amazon because of the 70% royalty structure? Yes. And I spoke to an Amazon representative at Nink, mm-hmm. uh, kind of petitioning or asking, please, pretty please, allow us to maybe consider doing a higher price point, especially for box sets and mm-hmm. um, things like that, because I think that it could be a win-win situation for both us and Amazon. And the other vendors have done it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nook no longer has the restriction of $9.99. Um, Apple does not, and um, neither does Kobo right. or, or Google. So, I mean, yeah, come on. <laughs> it's the time, right? The time is yes. right. We're uh, maturing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And how have you found, I mean, obviously you have the right niche for that. It sounds like you definitely, it's in demand. Um how but I have a friend of mine who writes horror prices at nine ninety nine and fourteen ninety nine mm. as well. He was trad, and then he went indie, and so I do. I mean, I hear indies who say I can't do this because you know people need to try me and things like that, and I hear that. Mm. All of my books are available to read for free on my website or different forums and fanfiction.net. I never require a reader to pay, and as I write new stuff, 
they get the chapters as I write them. I it never is, require yeah. any reader yeah. to pay for my books if they can't afford it. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a really interesting business model, and uh, mm-hmm. it obviously works well for you, and you, you have developed a readership that wants to support you, wants to yep. buy your books and, and pay money to, to help help sustain your income. So that, that's, that's a completely different way of looking at it, which I think is, <laughs> is smart. Because um, once, you've, once you've built that, it's, you know, it's there, and it's, it's more, more durable it's, almost. It's more insulated from changes on any major vendor in terms and conditions or anything like that, which was mm-hmm. important for me. Now, granted, when I was setting up all these systems, I was married, and there was, I was not the primary income in my household, and that's important to know. I did not take these risks lightly. I did not take these risks in a vacuum. But thankfully, it's what I built, and now that I am divorced, it still works, and it's going to be able to sustain me in the next chapter of my life. Yeah. Uh, can I talk to you a little bit about, because you mentioned that you made a specific plan about your finance. For example, like you made a plan that was... Um, you wanted to sell 500 books, for example, uh, yep. and that was your particular goal. Why, um, why that amount? What was it that you decided that that was the number that was working for you? Well, the adage at the time was, you know, most self-published books don't sell more than 500 copies, and mm. that's—I mean—that that little mythology mm. kind of haunted us for a very long time. So I went, okay, well, if that's what the average can do I'm going to say that I'm going to work my tail off and be above average but this is going to be the forecast this is going to be the minimum I need to do and then 500 times you know two dollars is a thousand dollars okay if I'm going to spend if I'm going to try to have revenue of a thousand dollars on this novella for example at 299 you get two dollars a book times 500 is a thousand then my editing costs and stuff all need to be less than a thousand dollars all of my marketing less so I have a profit there yeah. If I sell more than 500 books, great. That just means more profit in my pocket. But all publishers have a, a revenue forecast. And I just did a, a free conference, which is still available if people like sign up for it on whatauthorsneedtoknow.com, the okay. publishing planning for 2019. Yeah. Um, it's free. You can, you, can dip, you can tip or give a donation, but you can get the video replays. You want to make that revenue plan so you have a flag to go after. You have a finish line in your marathon. Mm-hmm. If you go past it, if you do really great, Great. If you don't, now you have some objective position to go, okay, I did X, Y, and Z. It didn't get me where I wanted to go. So now I have something to analyze to figure out how do I get to where I want to go. Mm-hmm. But if you don't pick somewhere to go, you're going to meander. And meander is not going to get you very far. What are some things that you're seeing authors doing wrong? And how did you kind of come up with this strategy? How did you see that this was a need? Uh, it was... Kind of what I do for myself. My personal mm-hmm. life blew up in an epic way this year. And because I had my plans from 2017 for 2018, when that all occurred, I was absolutely able to go back to my plan because I had it in a plan to start, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. making those critical CEO decisions. What can we cut? What What is the minimum we have to do? Um, I really believe that in our business, we have to be both CEO, well, triple. We have to be CEO, manager, and employee. Mm -hmm. The CEO has to have the vision for the whole year. The CEO is, you know, those board meetings in New York when they're deciding what books are going to be on the slate for the next three years. That's your CEO level skills. The manager has to be the one to kind of look at the plan over the quarter or over the month. How are you going to fit your quotas for your word counts or your marketing or whatever? And then the employee has to be that person that shows up for work at 5.30 in the morning to write those words. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's 
kind of a, a misconception a lot of writers have starting out is that they just want to be the writer, and mm-hmm. but then they still want to be an indie publisher, and they don't understand those other hats and how to um, treat yourself like an employee. And one of the things that you, you mentioned uh, in one of our conversations was that you should be able to figure out whether or not you would fire yourself yes. as an employee. <laughs> uh, what are some of the things that you think would, would earn that? Oh, I would be fired this week <laughs> if you have to ask. Uh, I'm working on getting back into the system where I would not get fired. Uh, so what, it, it goes back to something I read in Girl, Wash Your Face this summer, and that's about don't break promises to yourself. If you are someone that is that steadfast person, your friends can count on you, and I think most of us are, um, are what kind of a friend are you to yourself? Do you break promises to yourself all the time? Would you would you want to be friends with yourself with how you treat yourself? Yeah. And that really resonated with me. So I think as far as being an employee, your your KPIs, your key performance indicators, or your metrics should be how often are you coming into work each each week? How often are you actually putting in the time? How often are you giving yourself excuses to take a sick day? I mm. use a time tracker on my phone uh, called Save My Time to actually log my time. That's work, homeschool, Elizabeth, sick, and sleeping. Um, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. um, there's other apps on iPhones and stuff like Hours and all of that. You can use any kind of time tracking software for like invoicing companies. There's a yeah. lot of them out there. Just hack it by changing the company you'd invoice to be whatever the category of your life is. This is not a tool designed to drive you nuts, and it should not make you feel bad about yourself. It is objective data for you to be able to make decisions for the future. I feel all the time like I'm letting myself down. I feel all the time like I'm not doing enough. But when I go back and look at my time tracker, I can see, no, Elizabeth, you did this. And then, you know, you had this crazy thing happen this week. And that allows me not to make emotional decisions about my business and to make more data-driven decisions about my business. Yeah, and that's a tool that any employer would really need to use and to evaluate. Yeah. You have to be able to evaluate because how are you going to make decisions if you can't evaluate and how are you going to evaluate if you don't have any data? Yep, yeah, and every job you work, you're going to have to clock in. Even if you're salaried, you're going mm-hmm. to have to clock in. So clock mm-hmm. in for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, what are some ways that you have sort of found to structure your... Obviously, you've got these different categories. Um, mm-hmm. What does it look like for you personally? What is your writing day or your writing week... What does what your ideal writing week look like? What I'm working towards right now is 30 hours a week for writing, or for mm-hmm. 30 hours a week for my business. That's okay. what I have left. So what I taught my students, my authors, is you know you have 168 hours in a week. That's seven days times 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Subtract mm-hmm. your sleep. I like to get nine hours. Thank you very much. Well, it's nine hours for like my evening routine and all that. So nine yeah. times seven is 63. So 63 hours is already gone. Yeah. And then I started taking away time for like homeschool and taking time to take care of myself. And I ended up with only 50 hours left in the week for both my relaxing time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. for working. So I did 30 hours. And the research out there is that whenever they do um, kind of like productivity uh, research and stuff, most people are kind of done at that 30-hour point. Yeah. Beyond 30 hours, you're really not very effective. You think you are, but you're mm. really not. So 30 hours a week is what I have. And then um, writing's obviously number one, so I kind of used some of the ratios from profit first, and I decided 10 hours a week it needs to be writing words. Six hours editing, six hours on what authors need to know, and then um, five hours left for admin stuff. Oh, mm. and three for marketing. Okay, yeah. That adds up. Did you... It's, not, it's close to it. <laughs> and how do you recommend 
authors kind of go at that when they look at their own individual business. Not everyone's business is going to break down the same way. Not everyone has the same amount of hours, etc. Is there sort of a ratio that you're going with? The best way to start is start off with just tracking yourself of what you're naturally doing. Because Mm. most people try to plan and go, I'm going to do this. And they have no idea of what they currently do. It's a lot easier to make slight adjustments to what your natural schedule is than it is to wholesale change everything. Most of us are very resistant to change. We can't help it. It's just how we are wired. So figure out how many hours are you actually spending right now writing. If it's, you know, three hours a week, try increasing it to four or five. You're not going to be able to go from, oh, I'm only writing three hours a week to suddenly I'm going to pull a 20-hour week of writing. Right. Um, Without it being helter-skelter binge writing, which is what I've done over the years. And I'm doing my best to break myself of that habit. And I'm able to do it for a while. Um, I've done sprints with Boyd Craven, for example, at 5.30 in the morning. You can get an accountability partner. Like, figure out what's best for you and then try to find an author that's in a similar boat so you can be accountable for each other. Mm -hmm. But you don't want to have a mismatch. You don't want to be trying to match someone that's able to do 20 hours a week if you're not there yourself. I definitely understand that. I've got some, uh, we were just chatting with, uh, about Boo Walker, our mutual friend mm-hmm. and the previous guest of the show from, from Nink, and you had turned, awesome. you turned him on to dictation, and then I joined a little uh, accountability group with him and a few other people, and boy, he just blazed ahead with, with that dictation. It's sort of a, it's almost daunting. Like at first, I was like, oh, I got to keep up, but then I was like, oh, there's no way I'm keeping up. This is not. You have gonna to run work. your own race. Yeah, and uh, I had to figure out my own my own schedule, and that's something I'm. Uh, a lot of us are. Well, in my case, I'm making the transition because I have multiple business. I'm self-employed full-time, but I have multiple businesses. So it's a matter of decreasing ratios here and increasing mm-hmm. ratios there and trying to find the most efficient way to be a writer. And these are the types of things that keep coming up. It's just you've got to track your time. You've got to pay attention to what you're doing. And how do you expect to improve anything if you haven't kept track of any of it? And, yeah. Uh, once upon a time, I was a quality technician for Alcoa, so I was I was in something in a corporate situation of trying to improve. We were always constantly improving. Um, I've been a student of Six Sigma and Dr. Deming and everything since I was a little girl. My dad did Dr. Deming stuff when he was in the Navy, and I was there as like a, a, a sixth grader reading his binders. <laughs> so um, yeah. you have to have data. You, yeah. If we try to make decisions from how we feel about something, um, we're invariably going to kind of miss the mark because our feelings aren't always going to match reality. Yeah. I got a comment from Andrea said that was a good idea talking about the, the app tracking and she says I need to use one of those. So yeah, um, definitely good recommendation there. You said, what was the name again of the app that you particularly So used? the Android one is Save My Time. Okay. I highly recommend that one. If you yeah. don't have an Android phone, um, then look at, I think it's called Hours. What you want to do is go into the Apple Store and look for time tracking and try a couple of them out and see what works for you. Mm-hmm. And you don't necessarily have to track your time 24 hours. If you don't want to track your sleep, don't track your sleep. You can right. decide, I'm just going to track my time between the hours I drop my kid off at school and lunch, or mm-hmm. I drop my kid mm-hmm. off at school and they get home. Whatever works for you, you're running your own race, so you want to do what's right for you. Yeah, makes sense. So I want to chat with a little bit about the idea that you have made this transition from, well, not so a complete transition, but you're still writing fiction, but you've also stepped into this, you have whatauthorsneedtoknow.com, and you're kind mm-hmm. of starting to give back a little bit. Um, you've been doing this anyway, but now you've sort of formalized it, as you said, into this actual website. Can you tell us a little bit about what encouraged you to start teaching others how to do this? 
So I had uh, been writing cave boards, posts, and things like that. I mean, it was 2014, I think. Like, Chris Fox used one of my cave boards posts in the right 5K, the dra- Train Your Dragon post and everything like that. Mm, yeah. I was, um, you know, the writing was on the wall to me when I constantly got it, constantly was contacted by these other authors writing nonfiction. And it was like, oh, we're going to quote you here. Is that okay? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. sure. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. I was doing it all informally for years. And I want to be very careful about this because I don't want to be someone that this becomes my main gig. That's not my goals. That's not my, my, what I, what I intend for myself. Right. Um, my fiction is number one, but I wanted to be able to teach from the trenches and teach what I'm doing. And sometimes it helps people. Maybe it doesn't. I'm, I, you know, I'm a wide author, so I don't have necessarily KU centric marketing plans and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the stuff you learn about marketing and things can be used universally. You just have to kind of co-opt it a little bit um, for the restrictions of of KU. But um, yeah, so in April of this year, we did publishing like POW, and it was. Um, really well attended we had over 100 people come it was all digital and we have another all digital conference this weekend on writing craft for people that you know are overseas or some people are sick or some people just can't get registrations in or pay hundreds of dollars so like the writing conference this weekend is 29 dollars. it's you know you can use code nanowrimo and get 10 dollars off so it's 29 dollars to come and it's going to be um, six hours on Saturday with a repeat of the same six hours on Sunday. Okay. And you get the videos of them. But um, it's a lot of fun. And I just started doing it because people were asking for it. And I know that sounds so trite, but it's true. People were asking for it. And when I started running the numbers of, like, how much is it going to cost me to have this website and, yeah. run, you know, pay for Zoom and pay for calendar, cal- because there's all these tools you have yeah. to kind of pay for if you're going to start teaching people in a formal sense. Yeah. Um, I do make a little bit of a profit off of it, of course, but yeah, of course. Um, the profit is uh, like 5 to 10% of my yearly revenue. The majority of my revenue comes from fiction, and that's a commitment that's very important to me because I don't want to be teaching other authors something that I myself am not using or I myself haven't been trying to do, to do or something like that. Right. So yeah, that's my vision course. for this project. If people are interested, if they are watching it this week and want to jump on mm-hmm. for this weekend, what's the, uh, the, the, the way to connect on that? Just go to whatauthorsneedtoknow.com. Our front page right now has our paid opportunities on the left, and then our free opportunities on the right. Yeah, okay, that's definitely. Because we a link. have free sessions all week long called quirky sessions that I do Zoom sessions and such. So very cool. I dropped a, a link in the comments, so if you were listening to the episode uh, via the podcast, or if they wanted to just stop by the Facebook episode, I do have a link in the comments. People can, yep. can check that out. And there's a Facebook group and everything. We're all just like a group of authors that helps each other. So like, if you come into a quirky session with those, those are free. Those are just free like co-writing spaces we do online, kind of like this. It'd be like you and me, like going, okay, we're going to mute ourselves. And for 20 minutes, we're going to sprint. It's like, mm-hmm. it's like personal accountability one-on-one. And yeah. we have authors who come in from Australia and Austria and all over the world so we're all together and yeah. we're like sipping our coffee or like getting our work done and high-fiving each other it's a lot of fun That's but really if you cool. come into quirky and you're like hey my website's doing blunk blank somebody may have experience or whatever to help you or at least get you where you need to go so yeah. it's like the water cooler i like it <laughs> it's like a, co- a virtual co-working space it is <laughs> yeah and we all need that we all need a little bit of social alex we are in our yeah. little caves over here writing away and we need to we say, get we out say of the pants- house Pants are optional, but if you're not going to wear pants, then please keep your video off. <laughs> <laughs> Solid rules. I mean, just the mm-hmm. basics. Um, I was actually having a, a conversation with uh, Chris Fox the other week, um, just a call, and we were discussing this idea of when you sort of become 
um, a nonfiction or when you become an educator, like in your case. And I think that it's interesting because even though there's tons of content out there, I, you know, just a couple of days ago we interviewed, I had um, uh, the Mark Dawson, you know, team on, you know, James was yes, here. Yes, they're Kat. awesome. They're, they're really great. There's all these, these, there's big courses out there and there's big names, but not everyone knows about it. Not everyone comes to the space through these big ones. There's a lot of, every author has people that are connected just to them. It's sort of that mm-hmm. know, like, and trust thing. And there's a lot of people that will just know, like, and trust you, and they want to hear it from you. They want so. I think it's it's cool what you're doing that you've you know started this site and you started this community, and I think it's uh, you know everyone, every author, at the farther along the road you go, there's going to be people who are kind of in your wake and wanting to see what you're doing, and those are the ones you can turn around and teach in this sort of format, which I think is fantastic. Yeah, and I also learn from them, too. I mean, mm-hmm. we come together as a group, and um, I teach a lot because, like I said, I've been selling my writing digitally for more than 10 years. Right. And it didn't dawn on me that that was, like, my situation until somebody kind of pointed it out because for the longest time I had this imposter syndrome about teaching. And I was like, who am I to teach when I only make, like, $50,000 a year for my writing? That's what I do consistently. I'm very mm-hmm. open about my earnings and things like that as much yeah. as I can be um, so that I, I can give realistic expectations because – it aggravated me to no end. I could, when I was trying to research for this business and b- back in 2010, when I'm like, I'm going to do this, yeah. I couldn't find any real numbers anywhere. Like, mm-hmm. industry, how much does this sell? How much does this make? Who the heck knows? Um, and we do have a little bit of information. Uh, in the middle of October, Amazon sent out a press release that, um, and my good friend Jane, John Ellsworth was featured in it about, you know, these are the top indie books for this past year or whatever. And at the bottom, they say about KDP, in 2017, they tout hundreds of thousands of authors have accounts with them. Hundreds of thousands of authors. Yeah. That um, tens of thousands of authors have made over $50,000 in 2017, and over a 1,000 authors have made over $100,000 in 2017. Mm-hmm. So if you, if you have any kind of math background, you can realize that those are factors of 10. Mm-hmm. You go from hundreds of thousands to tens of thousands mm-hmm. to thousands yeah. have made over a hundred thousand or fifty thousand or so if you're making any kind of money at this, any kind of money at all, even if it's just coffee money, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. you're doing well. <laughs> yeah, you're in the top tiers already. <laughs> you're, you're, you're in the top. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And yeah, it, when you do the math, I think it's like for the people who are making over fifty thousand dollars a year, it puts you in the top five percent of all authors on the KDP platform. Mm-hmm. And that's very sobering if you think about it. It's really difficult to make a living at this. So, I think there's a lot of that comparisonitis that goes around mm-hmm. too, where you think you, you see these stories of these people making hundred thousand dollars a month and think, oh, is that what I need to be doing? And I think that it's smart for like your approach is like, well, look at your actual expenses, look at what you need to make, and then customize your lifestyle around that. Like, build yourself yeah. the life, build the job. That gets your actual goals, not someone else's there's, goals. There's no difference between me making a thousand dollars a month passively when I haven't released in seven months versus someone else making ten thousand dollars in a month, but they had to spend nine thousand dollars to make it happen. Mm-hmm. We both have a thousand dollars profit. Right. So, and that was, I think, a mindset that a lot of my students didn't realize until we kind of like did the math and showed it out. Yeah, you can make fifteen thousand, and not everybody is in that boat. I'm just saying that a lot of times when authors share numbers mm-hmm. and they're like, oh, I made $20,000. They're talking about gross revenue. They didn't talk about what it took expense-wise to make that happen. Yep. And that can be a very dangerous thing if you're trying to make comparisons. Yep, I 100% agree. 
because ad spend is very expensive sometimes, especially if you're getting into Facebook marketing, things like that. There's But I'm not yeah. saying everyone's lying. That's not what I'm saying. No, I no, have no. very good friends who, who make six figures a month and they do not spend anywhere near six figures a month to make that happen. Yeah. But it, they they themselves will even say that they represent an extremely minuscule sliver of the overall author experience. That is not mm-hmm. the average or the norm. Yeah. And I think it, it comes back to, you know, defining your goals. Like, is it, is your goal to just make a living at this? And mm-hmm. if that's the case, what does making a living look like to you? Yes. Or if this is, you know, a, a side gig, if you have another source of income, how much money are you trying to make with this? And can you just, are you able to just dump all this money right back into your business? You know, because mm-hmm. that's, that's another avenue too, is if you have another, if you're not a full-time writer, if, you're, if you've got another income, then you should just be funneling this back into the business and slowly growing it to the point where until it is a big enough business that you can go full time with it. But you still want to make sure that you're making your that you set up your metrics and you set your flags of mm-hmm. where you're going and make sure that you're meeting those goals or coming close to it. Like mm-hmm. I had a forecast for 2017 that I want to make $15,000 in the first quarter. Did I hit it? No, I made $9,000 of revenue. Was I unhappy? No, because my expenses were way lower than that. So you have to have these flags so you can make you know, very objective decisions. Should you continue in the business? Should you continue investing in this business? The yeah. second quarter, I aimed for, um, I think it was 26000 and I hit 23000 So you have to you have to know where you are. How do you help people define their flags and plan their next year? So the start of it was how much money do you need in your pocket? Mm-hmm. Like, how much money do you need your owner's salary to be? then that should, if you are looking at revenue of less than $250,000 for the year, the book Profit First suggests that that number should represent 50% of your total gross revenue. So mm-hmm. if you need $48,000, then your business needs to make a total of $96,000. If you need $20,000 in your pocket, then you should be looking to make 40000 over the course of the year. Okay. Um, and then he, he goes further down and breaks it down. And in the video replay, we go over all of it. Um, or someone can come into Quirky if they have, an, have questions about it and I can answer them or yeah. somebody else can answer. Yeah, well, that's fantastic. Does that yeah. help? <laughs> oh, absolutely, yeah. No, I, I think that those are the kind of things that, that people always have questions about. And you know, understanding your own business is not necessarily intuitive because we are a lot of us are creatives and artists and think, oh, I'm, I'm a writer and they're doing that. They've got in touch with that part. But then... Mm-hmm. Turning around and wearing that business hat is is not always you know, people's first first uh, choice, you know. So it's just uh, it's a mental mental shift. So having these and not little... all of us had business education either. Right. Not all of us took classes in business or anything like that. Um, my first business was when I was eight years old and I killed my mother's rubber tree plant trying to have a Super Bowl business. So <laughs> I've always been this kid that was like, I'm going to be a business person. But not everybody's yeah. like that. <laughs> yeah, no, I understand completely. Um, that's that's funny. I told you our only problem was going to be that we only have 30 minutes. Yeah, I know. We've already blazed through it, of course, Mm -hmm. as as expected. But um, this this has actually been been a lot of fun. I think it's been very informative. I I think that the um, audience will enjoy it. And uh, if anyone has additional questions for Elizabeth, if you're watching the replay, I know the majority of people end up watching the replay of this. Feel free to to drop your questions in the comments, and I'm sure Elizabeth will be able to to pop back on and and, um, say hello if that's all right with you. Yeah, I can answer them or we can do another session some other time yeah. when your schedule has it open if, if they want like, because we didn't even talk about how I blog chapters and I have this whole reader membership site and yeah. how I do my direct pre-orders. None of that. Yeah, I know. We started out with this. You've got a lot going on and then we <laughs> yes, were in line. Yeah, you've you got a, quite, the, quite the thing going on here. Um, and 
people can also reach me at writer at elizabethannwest.com. That's my email address, so I'm okay. happy to take email. So elizabethannwest.com is your, your fiction site, yep. and writer at elizabethannwest.com, and then, of course, uh, whatauthorsneedtoknow.com. Yep, and we wanna... have a Facebook group, too. So Oh, fantastic. Yeah. I'm available. <laughs> uh, that is fantastic. Yeah, no, I, I'm going to be stopping by myself just because I, <laughs> I need more accountability in my life. And uh, I, I'm going to take you up on the, the offer of the, some of these uh, app suggestions as well yep. for, for planning. So I think that's that's great. Um, so, yeah, um, I, I really appreciate your time. I pre- really appreciate you you being here and being willing to chat with us. And I, w- I would love to have you on again as a guest in the future for sure. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, Thank you, everyone, for watching, and uh, we'll see you next week for another great episode. And I'll see you then.